This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by our Africa and LNG editor Ed Reed and Hamish Penman, digital journalist. And this will be arriving on your streaming platform of choice a little later than our usual Friday pod, and I'm sure listeners will have guessed rightly that we wish to hold off publication following the momentous news last week of the death of the Queen, age 96, at Balmoral, which of course lies not far from where uh, Hamish and I are recording in Aberdeen. And and this is not an an energy story per se, but I think it's something that touches the the energy industry and and people across the UK and indeed further afield. Um, You know, her love of Balmoral does mean, I think, it's fair to say that many people in this part of the world do feel a particular affinity with the royal family, uh, if if not all monarchists, then certainly uh, a respect for Her Majesty and her achievements over her reign. So tributes have been flooding in from across the energy sector, and I think almost every single company or organisation I've seen on my LinkedIn has offered some kinds of of words of tributes, just a remarkable wave of uh, condolences. And it's, it's hard to imagine anyone else evoking something similar, even if they were a massive pillar of the energy industry. It feels uh, unique in that regard. So I'll I'll mention a couple of here. Um, BP clearly has a long history in Britain. Uh, Its CEO, Bernard Looney, said she'll be remembered as one of the most remarkable sovereigns in history. Uh, Lord Brown, the former boss of BP, described her as a shining example of devoted service and steadfast duty. Uh, The oil and gas chaplaincy in Aberdeen, um, perhaps, uh, well, quite appropriately, uh, saying it's a sad day for our nation. And many will be experiencing feelings of loss of the death of Her Majesty the Queen, someone who's been a constant in our life. So, yeah, I mean, if nothing else, uh, the, the woman has been a symbol of uh, steadfastness, may, might be the right word, uh, certainly throughout my lifetime, it, it, indeed, uh, most people's lifetimes, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I remember, yeah, I was just sitting at dinner um, and and my old, used to work in radio, so I still got the IRN news bulletins through in text uh, saying uh, that, that it had happened, so... Heard that and stuck on the, the news with uh, Hugh Edwards. Uh, wh- where were you guys when you, you heard about it, and what are your what are your thoughts? Also, with a background in radio, I uh, got the IRN notification and then quickly ran to the laptop to. We well, we had a pretty good idea that day that something something was going to um, something was going to happen. So we had a story written and ready to go. So yeah, jumped to, jumped to put that on. But yeah, Hugh Edwards was looking absolutely knackered by the end of the week. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was looking pretty pretty tired, but quite a quite a monumental uh, show of 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 broadcasting uh, prowess there. What about yourself, Ed? Uh, well, so I I took the day off. I was I I'd, uh, nipped into to London to to see some cricket, which was uh, which was rained off without a without a ball thrown in anger. Um, and uh, it was sort of the end of the day, and I was uh, I was sort of you know remember sort of you know looking at uh, Twitter or just before I got on the underground, and you know there were the sort of you know reports of the. Uh, the royal family sort of you know moving north to uh, to see the queen and by the time I, I got out the other end um you know the word had come through but yeah i mean as you say alistair i mean it's it's an extraordinary uh sort of a symbol of of kind of uh, continuity isn't it i mean i think you know thinking about the the, the range of, of prime ministers uh you know the, just how the world has changed since uh queen elizabeth came to the throne and 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 now sort of you know moving into a, a new era of king charles the third yeah yeah i mean i i guess uh people will recall the queen uh some people will recall the queen uh the, the famous picture for the north sea is the 40s pipeline opening in the 70s 
I think a former geologist spoke to me some time ago and recalling the Queen showing up in her Bentley or something. Uh, and yeah, it was a huge loss for, for the UK. I, th I think I saw her once uh, at Duthie Park in Aberdeen for one of the Jubilees when I was a young boy. Uh, I still have a commemorative coin. And yeah, the, the new king uh, very clearly uh, has a, a, a passion for environmental issues. Um, I don't know, perhaps we'll see him uh, open a one of our huge offshore wind projects in the same way uh, the, the Queen opened 40s uh, so many years ago, two different industrial uh, revolutions there. Uh, did you guys ever see or meet uh, the Queen in your time reporting or, or otherwise? I never did, no, no. I saw her once as a child. My grandparents were quite staunch, uh, staunch monarchists, so I was taken to Troop in the Colour once as a, as a young boy um, and saw her then. Um, but no, we've done we, it, quite a few of the other royals have been up um, in the northeast during my time reporting up here. So we've had a Charles and, a, and an Anne. Yeah, I, I've I've had uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, reported on been in the same room as uh, as Charles uh, a couple of times, um, Princess Anne as well. Um, and yeah, I think I think I think Prince Charles. It might have been at like a hydroelectric plant somewhere in Aberdeenshire, if I recall correctly. So there you are. Um, An early indication, indeed. And I think I think he's been I think he's been to. Uh, there's a company up here called Balmoral, for those who don't know, and uh, they they opened a new subsea centre of excellence some years ago. And uh, I think Jimmy Milne, uh, who who many people will will know up this the, in this part of the world, um, was speaking very broad Scots to him, and uh, there was a colour piece about you know. This guy speaking, you know, pure Doric uh, to the the future king, um, which is quite a good one. Um, but yes, uh, our our condolences to the the royal family and and everyone affected by this this huge news around the passing of the queen. Um, and next up, we'll discuss some other uh, seismic events in the halls of Westminster. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice Live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. So Hamish, uh, clearly this has been overshadowed somewhat by uh, news of the Queen, but uh, in the days uh, prior to that, we well, we got a new Prime Minister who's announced, uh, well, a, a swathe of energy policies. Yeah, in the days prior and then simply the hours prior um, when the, the announcements were made in the House of Commons, but got bumped down the uh, the news agenda within a few hours, really. And for obvious reasons, I did actually read reports that both Truss and Starmer um, knew what was playing out at Balmoral before they went into the chamber. So they likely had a fair idea. Uh, what was going to happen so yeah. there was all that stuff about them getting the notes passed right yeah, yeah. and i think they um trust certainly left the house of commons i think at some point um after the announcement as well so so i think yeah they were certainly getting information relayed back to them but this was her first um, big statement as prime minister after she took up the job uh, earlier in the week um or i think the queen's last act as queen so um 
quite a monumental one as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it follows this uh, energy statement, follows weeks of pressure for whoever took up the job or at Truss or uh, Rishi Sunak to take swift action to to mitigate the plethora of negative implications um, surrounding these spiralling energy bills. Um, and there are reports that the result is what one commentator described as perhaps the single most expensive tax or spend policy in peacetime history, which is... Absolutely mad when you consider we've had furlough in the last couple of years, um, bailing out of Northern Rock um, in 2008. Um, and this bill is going to have to be paid back for generations to come. But government has uh, clearly seen it as the lesser of two evils. So a bit of the kind of headline takeaways is that bills for the next two years will be capped at £2,500. Um, there was a big pledge or big commitment in there to scale up North Sea production with a, a new licensing round, which had been reported and speculated on quite a lot in the, um, running up to it. This trusted then confirmed that uh, one will happen, um, could yield around 100 licenses, she said. And then Jacob Rees-Mogg, the new um, business and energy secretary, he confirmed later that day that they're hoping for it to take place next month. So it could be quite a quick turnaround and... Um, and uh, I think a lot of people will be keeping a pretty close eye on that as well. But yeah, like I said, Jacob Rees-Mogg has taken over. He took over from Kwasi Kwarteng, who's gone to uh, number 11. Um, so we'll see how that plans out. He's obviously quite a divisive figure in British mm. politics, <laughs> um, whereas Kwasi Kwarteng seemed to be quite a safe pair of hands. He was quite well liked in the industry, I think, because he was as his time as energy minister before. Um, and there have been quite a lot of people who flagged um, Rees-Mogg's previous comments on climate change and the like um but that brief has been taken away from him that's gone into a secular uh, separate minister so we'll see how that plans out as well but on the renewable side yeah trust planning to scale up renewables um massively uh, in, in partnership with oil and gas and to break the limp link between renewables and gas prices so that projects pre-2015 i think it is um don't sell their energy for the for the same price as gas so that they're able to uh, sell it as a contract for difference on a on a long-term contract um, and fracking I suppose it doesn't impact um, anyone up here but uh, down south in England the moratorium on fracking has been lifted uh, that was welcomed in some quarters of Rehoboled resources they were pretty chipper about it um, and then obviously it's again a very controversial issue so there was a good deal of good deal of uh, angst towards it as well so we'll see quite quickly how that's uh how that fly, um kind of plays out and and whether shale gas is um or tapped and how quickly it will be done so but um so yeah uh but yeah those were kind of the big takeaways from it but a huge array of policies and it did come off the back of I mean, weeks of predictions about pubs having to charge people 20 quid a pint to just to uh stay open which i think was what really started to get people scared yeah i mean uh i mean i think i believe liz trust campaigned on uh you know no more handouts uh but clearly uh as as you say the the something had to give um and and clearly this hopefully will help businesses to an extent i have seen reports this is going to be a expensive but extensive sticking plaster uh which might soften inflation but not obviously prevent it altogether um and and yeah, I, I guess there's there's quite a few different things to to delve into there. I'm sure one of the things that that our readers will be interested in is the idea of uh, new North Sea licenses uh, being announced. That was already uh, kind of mooted, as you say, Hamish. Um, and and there's a few things that uh, 
I guess the industry needs to square the circle a little bit. Uh, you know, some of the product from the North Sea doesn't necessarily go to the UK. Much of it is landed in places like uh, St. Fergus and Teesside, but some of it is sold onto, onto the international markets as well. Um, we don't import much from Russia, um, but this idea of becoming you know, a net exporter by 2040 for the UK is a, a monumental goal. Uh, I'd question its achievability, um, and, and clearly uh, new licenses will not yield... Uh, new fields for for years um but if 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 the aim is to be a net exporter um then you know pres presumably we are going to need more oil and gas within that time as well um yeah i mean i i'm sure i'm sure the green pieces of the world uh are are pretty uh, unhappy about that uh, and there's certainly arguments to be made against it uh, and and not too half chuffed about jacob Rees mog either to be honest and i can i can certainly see why yeah, I, I mean, I, just on that 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 point about the sort of you know the Greenpeace side of things. I mean, given the government's net zero commitments, uh, you know, I guess you know the question to me is is that achievable, right? I mean, I think you know we've seen those kind of legal challenges before. We've seen you know obviously you know Jack Daw, Cambo, all of those kind of problems. I mean, surely we're just going to see more. You know, challenges. Obviously, there's there's a kind of like a political, you know, loss for the environmentalists, but there's surely still sort of judicial review that will go ahead. And you know, Liz Truss has also said that she's, you know, she's kind of, you know, reiterated her support for for, for net zero, hasn't she? I mean, do you think that those 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 two kind of moves seem slightly hard to square to me? What what do you guys think? Yeah, it's it's difficult to call them anyway. There is there will still be the requirement for. for for oil and gas, even past net zero, I mean, everyone's always quite keen to stress that it's net zero, not not no emissions, as it were. Um, so I, I think we are going to see plenty more. I mean, Greenpeace are already taking shelter courts over Jackdaw, um, or UK government courts to court over Jackdaw, rather. Um, and I think that's just be the tip of the iceberg now, and there's going to be it, this could signal a, a, just a wave of, um, of legal action, which obviously does come with a cost in itself, uh, not only for these groups, but for, for the government as well, if they're going to have to be uh, employing the top lawyers to, to fight these cases for them. I, I think with any new fields, obviously, the, the, this new licensing round is going to be subject to these climate checkpoints. Um, and that, that's it's really going to be the proofs in the pudding there, isn't it? Um, you know, the, 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 the Transition Authority, the North Sea Transition Authority, has done a little bit in terms of fining companies for emissions. Um, I would say it's been, I think it's probably fair to say it's been more the carrot than the stick so far. Their policy has been, if we can work this out with companies, then we we shall. Uh, although Andy Samuel was in the Commons uh, last week, uh, a Commons committee saying that he's ready to name and shame in six months' time. Uh, companies aren't doing enough on emissions. Uh, one might point to the fact that Andy Samuel is outgoing and may not be in the job in six months' time. He's already said he's going to be leaving the NSTA, but presumably that would be his successor. Um, yeah, the, the proof will be in the pudding of these climate checkpoints. If if we're going to get a wave of new gas fields um, tied back to these, presumably the majority of new gas fields in the UK are going to be tie back smaller projects. It means you're going to have to electrify the main production hubs in order to keep the emissions down. And what we've seen so far, I think it doesn't, I don't think it really bodes well for electrification. I don't mean to be a, too negative, but you know, all we hear from some of the bigger operators is just how expensive this is going to be. Bar, you know, Equinor, who are clearly quite positive about it. We had, we had Al Cook speaking to us about plans for, for Rosebank. Um, in the west of Shetland, and there might be mileage there. The Central North Sea, older assets. It's uh, we've we've had the former Shell boss for the North Sea 
liken it to open heart surgery, effectively, for the platforms. Hugely expensive, but they're going to have to do it if they want new gas fields. So, yeah, I think the proof will be in the pudding there. Um, anything else? Yeah, fracking, um, I think, will probably be... Uh, it doesn't sound like there'll be too much in Scotland for that, but, you know, Ineos didn't waste any time. Um, but, uh, you know, downside... I mean, on that, on that, on that fracking front. I mean, like we've seen, you know, kind of it, it. kind of feels like the kind of the challenges of the North Sea, but kind of real large, mm. right? I mean, I think, you know, people obviously object to, you know, sort of, you know, Jackdaw, say, in 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 kind of, you know, broad sense. But in terms of fracking, you know, like it's, you know, these these, you know, sort of lorries, you know, drilling rigs, kind of thundering past, you know, these sort of idyllic homes is is kind of, you know, the idea, isn't it? And it's this kind of idea about sort of seismicity and and sort of all those challenges that we've seen in the past. And it doesn't feel like those challenges have been, you know, resolved. I mean, obviously, the government has said that they can go ahead, but that kind of question around around kind of communities around how you get support from the people living nearby still seems to be very much a kind of an open question so you know people can say like oh yeah we we might have an an, an incredible resource you know under in, in the boland shale or whatever but it, it still feels that it it still feels like quite a long way away yeah yeah, I think I think the the fair the fair point to make across uh, both of these issues for the North Sea and for onshore fracking is that we're going to see a hell of a lot more legal <laughs> challenges. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. It will certainly keep our uh, news site ticking over nicely. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for that, Hamish. And we'll pivot next to the latest moves from Total Energies in South Africa. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So, Ed, uh, you're closely watching what Total is up to. Um, are we in for an expansion of the the gas market in South Africa? I mean, it, it certainly that's that's what the what, what the, uh, the the French are looking at, and uh, I think it's you know it's clearly an, an attractive option for uh, for South Africa. You know, just to remind you that South Africa, something like eighty percent of its power comes from coal, um, which you know clearly in this day and age is uh, is, is is increasingly a, a, a challenge on environmental grounds. Even if there is a kind of a clear sort of uh, an energy security case for it um so i think you know the, the the government in south africa has talked a lot about about a sort of a shift to gas obviously you know in similar ways you know to the to you know those sort of challenges we've seen in the north sea there are kind of questions around the extent to which uh, environmentalists and sort of uh, civil society groups want to see kind of gas going ahead um but i think you know the the, the big kind of appeal for this uh, for this for this massive offshore gas field is that it is you know, it's it's in South African waters, and I think you know the the alternative the 
South Africa's reliance on coal comes about because it's got a lot of coal. And so there is a kind of a clear sort of, you know, there's 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 a there's a price thing, there's a there's a jobs thing. There's a, you know, there are many ways in which kind of coal looks attractive for South Africa to to keep on using it. And to move away to 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 gas to to kind of cleaner and you know, more environmentally friendly fuels sounds like a nice idea but at the moment obviously lng uh is it's not a cheap fuel to buy um you know there have been talks around building uh regasification terminals in, in various points around south africa around some you know sort of uh maybe, maybe sort of power ships you know taking lng that sort of thing but it's yeah it's 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 a it's a cheap way to to, to make power at the moment and, and and clearly south africa with its economic challenges doesn't really have that uh, that that sort of uh, that leeway that it that it would need so a, a domestic gas field looks very attractive and uh, you know there's a lot to be said for this for this for this talk that uh, that Total's been been looking at, so just to remind you, they they made those those two big uh, discoveries, Liput and Brilpada, uh, a couple of years ago, and 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 it was a it was a kind of a transformational moment for uh, for, for South Africa, which has has really struggled to to, to find domestic resources. So it, it feels like a like a really significant step. Um, so obviously. There is, um, the, the, I think, the first step that they're talking about is a sort of an early production system. So that'd be a relatively modest. I think IHS said something like nine hundred million dollars sort of an investment to get uh, the sort of the first flow of gas from Liput into into local infrastructure. There are some there are some uh, offshore gas pipelines that it could sort of tie into, and then that could move onshore relatively quickly and into an area where there is a, a GTL plant. So that that turns uh, gas into usable uh, liquids like like diesel. So this seems like a like a really attractive option. It would uh, bring investment to South Africa. It would create jobs in Mossel Bay. So I think the government's very keen about it. You know, Total has you know kind of clearly is is, is kind of looking very favourably at the economics. Um, so there are the, it, things are kind of moving ahead. Uh, but I suppose you know there are kind of those ongoing questions around uh, around around civil society around those groups who who have you know pushed back, um, and you know recently. We, we, we've seen, uh, for instance, a, a decision go against uh, Shell in the uh, just off the wild coast, uh, which 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 looked like a real sort of uh, real negative um, for the for, for, for the sort of the offshore industry. So it, it feels like a, like a good step forwards, but there are you know kind of clearly challenges to, to before we, we we reach that point when when gas starts flowing into that GTL plant again. Yeah, no, I was I was going to ask about the the Shell stuff because that was so high profile. Um, I, I mean. To look at the to assess, I suppose, the state of exploration and production uh, as you've been doing there. I mean, our, I presume Total will be wary of something similar if they try to get gas going. Um, do do we expect? I mean, I, I don't know how this sits in relation to the area that Shell was looking at. I think that was quite heavy in wildlife, if I recall some of the Greenpeace um, uh, complaints, for lack of a better word. I mean, might we see something similar? Do you think? Or I mean, Total perhaps isn't quite the same household name uh, in the UK anyway I don't know about South Africa yeah I mean I I think I think it, it does seem quite uh, that there will be challenges before uh, before kind of Total gets the go ahead and we have seen that that challenge as you say um, Shell in the wild coast that's kind of you know, further around to the uh, to the sort of southeast 
And then uh, there was a, there was another big sort of seismic shoot that was going to take place off the uh, off the west coast that also got knocked back. And I think you know this is the thing you know we've seen a couple of um, judicial uh, kind of decisions which have which have really kind of found for local communities, found for uh, for, for these NGOs. And I think there's clearly a sense where um, you know the uh, the South African government wants to sort of try and tackle this. I mean, I think you know it's it's clearly a sore spot for the uh, for the South African government who are trying to get investment going, trying to uh, kind of you know secure future energy, um, and to have these kind of you know you know legal decisions essentially kind of you know making that that sort of work impossible has led to a you know a few uh, a few. Uh, Intemperate uh, comments, should we say, from perhaps from from the energy minister, for instance, who who kind of accused, uh, who, who sort of raised the sort of spectre of sort of malign foreign interference um, in, in in some of these uh, these NGOs and, and quite where they get their money from, and this has kind of found some support. I mean, I think, I mean, I I, I clearly have you know no idea whether that's legitimate, uh, but I think there there are you know clearly that's kind of a, a local concern that I'm that I'm increasingly hearing about. You know what? What are these NGOs doing? How can they, you know, kind of do this with a with with, with a straight face? And I think it's it it is going to be a challenge for uh, for, for anyone looking at, at South Africa's offshore. And you know, clearly there are there are opportunities. I think you know we've seen you know sort of Total and Shell drill those wells off off Namibia in the in the Orange Basin. South Africa also has the some 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 areas of the, of the Orange Basin. You know, it would be it would be interesting to see some some exploration go ahead there, but under the current uh, environment, it's it, it's hard to see how that would work. So I think you know there there is a kind of a concern around around quite how they get their energy sector moving, which again you know there, I, I guess it's that kind of question, isn't it? You know, do you, you know to what extent do you maybe say we are willing to let exploration and production go ahead in the offshore in order to reduce uh, South Africa's overall emissions, uh, which, you know, are incredibly high, uh, you know, the, that just that, that, that coal use is, you know, a real, uh, a re- real black spot on, on, you know, frankly, on, on the kind of the world's emissions. So I think, you know, I'm not sure if, if, if I would pick that fight to, to kind of derail, uh, you know, gas uh, production against in an attempt to kind of reduce coal, but Clearly, we've we've seen some of that that taking place, and we've seen some success for that for those arguments. So, yeah, it's it, it, it's. I'm sure there are there are, there are more, uh, more 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 fights to be seen before this this arrives. So, I think you know the the idea is probably sort of targeting sort of production. You know, maybe sort of 2026, 2027 is kind of what they're talking about at the moment. So, I mean, that still feels quite a long way off. Obviously, there are a lot of studies that had to go through. The you know South Africa is also working through various changes in its uh, in its its uh, regulatory environment, so I think there are going to be some 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 challenges ahead, but this does feel like a like a positive step. Okay, all right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, thank you, Ed. And that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. We will be back to our regular schedule this week. Meantime, thank you again, Ed uh, and Hamish for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector.
Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.